Spookies, and welcome back to the Appalachian Spooky Hour podcast. I'm Sam, your host, and I just want to take a moment to explain why we're posting an episode so late. The truth is that I did record episode two, which was about Centralia, but I just did not like what I'd created. I didn't want to put out an episode that I didn't feel like it was the best it could be, and so I shelved it. That means that this episode, which was originally the third of the season, is now the second. So forgive me for that, and let's just get into this brand new episode. Tonight, I want to talk about the Brown Mountain Ghost Lights. If you've spent much time studying folklore and ghost stories from the Appalachian region, this might just be a story you're familiar with. This is a phenomenon that goes back hundreds of years, with the first written references cropping up over a century ago. This story is so old and so popular, there's even a country song written about the lights. Not making that up, it is indeed a real thing. I guess we should start with what the phenomenon actually is, before we start breaking down legends of what they could be and what scientists have determined that they actually are. Brown Mountain is located in the Pisgah National Forest in North Carolina, about 60 to 70 miles northeast of Asheville. There are supposedly several good viewing points in the Lindville Gorge area, which is also in the mountains, particularly the Wiseman's View Overlook. Most people describe the lights as star-like dots, like small balls of light with a brightness that is often compared to the stars around it. The motion of the lights often varies according to reports. Sometimes they move very slow, and other times they seem almost like fireworks. It is important to note, too, that they do not appear every night. And their appearances are kind of sporadic. They seem to make appearances often in the dry nights of autumn, especially on nights that are moonless. The lack of moonlight makes them much easier to see. But honestly, they're a pretty rare occurrence. So if you do go looking, odds are you could spend all night watching the mountain and not see a thing. The lights, when they do appear, seem to rise up out of the mountain itself and hover about 15 feet in the air. The orbs will hover for a bit and then just disappear. Despite disputes on what causes this, one thing is certain. The lights are indeed real, and there are many eyewitness accounts to back up their existence. So this begs the question, what are the Brown Mountain Lights? To figure that out, we need to dive into the history and lore behind the phenomenon. As I said before, these lights have supposedly been viewed for hundreds of years, Though I will tell you now, there is no written documentation that I can find to back up that claim. As I said earlier, the first written statements about the lights didn't appear until around 1910. 
So you have to take the hundred years thing with a grain of salt. One myth that persists, and it's supposedly according to Cherokee legend, that there was a battle near Brown Mountain that took place in 1200 between the Cherokee and the Catawba. I think I said that correctly. Please forgive me if I did not. Supposedly, many Cherokee warriors were killed in this battle. The lights are said to be the spirits or ghosts of Cherokee women who were searching the mountain for their lost loved ones. An even more recent legend believes the lights are caused by the spirit of a heartbroken woman searching the mountain with a torchlight or flashlight, however you want to say it looking for her fiancé, who never showed up for their wedding. Yet another would have us believe that it is the spirit of a young pregnant woman who was killed by her own husband. Apparently the lights appeared to help searchers find her body and remain on the mountain to remind evil people that their deeds were not going unpunished, basically. There are so many stories, you guys. Like, seriously, so many. There's another about a slave who got lost trying to return to his master's home, and another about the master himself, a plantation owner after which Brown Mountain is said to have been named, getting lost on the mountain and one of his faithful slaves trying in vain to find him, even after all these years. Personally, I find these particular stories kind of disgusting. And honestly, it's just kind of a way to try and glorify slave owners. These particular two accounts speak of kind and good slave owners who treated their slaves well, you know, so much so that they're trying to bring him home and searching for him even in death. You know, that's that's just gross. Like, come on. That's, no. It should also be noted that some of the mountain folk a.k.a. the Appalachian people who populate the area, have long believed that the lights are a warning from the divine. A warning for what? I'm not sure. But I'd love to be able to talk with a true local about their beliefs and feelings on the matter. So if you're a local from this area who grew up hearing about the Brown Mountain Ghost Lights, get in contact with me. I would love to do a secondary episode with you because... I'm sure you have insight <clears throat> as a local that we just don't necessarily find on the internet. Over the years, there have been so many different explanations offered up. Everything from the headlights of cars in the valley to swamp gas causing a reflection. Okay, sidebar. That just makes me think of Men in Black. When they're talking about it being, you know, oh, it's swamp gas and a weather balloon. and Yeah, anyway, if you have seen Men in Black, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's immediately what I thought of when I saw the swamp gas thing. The lights were observed by folks long before there were automobiles in the world. So I think we can kind of sweep that explanation under the rug a little bit. Also, there's no swamp on Brown Mountain. So where would the swamp gas come from? Those two theories don't really hold much water, though some folks will still argue they are possible. You do you. 
the origin of the lights and when they were first seen was also called into question. The first written reference to the lights, as we talked about, came out around 1910, which was around the same time that electric lights began to spread through the area. A USGS scientist named George Mansfield actually used a map and a telescope in an effort to prove that the lights were nothing more than car headlights, brush fires, and train lights. At this point in history, train lights had been modified, and some were even brighter than lights in lighthouses at the time. We're talking very vibrant light. Mansfield worked hard to disprove the notion that this was some sort of paranormal activity, recording a number of lights that he saw through the night. He was actually accompanied by some members of the Levin family during his work, and on a night when he caught an especially bright light that appeared to move and pulse, Joseph Levin declared it to be a true brown mountain light. Through the telescope, however, the light appeared to be stationary and not moving at all, implying it was kind of a trick of the eye. Mansfield was able to plot on the map some of the locations of the lights, which included a curve in the railway track, with the appearance of the lights corresponding with the appearance of an oncoming train, among others. Robert Lovin declared that he didn't believe that the lights were bright enough to be real brown mountain lights, but was contradicted by Joseph, who thought they seemed like the lights they regularly saw. It is believed at this point that storytellers began to weave together imaginary tales of the origins of the lights, with the story changing over the years to fit the times thus evolving from a Cherokee legend to a story of slavery to a tale of a lost lover, etc., etc. Going back in time a little bit, going back in time a little bit, around 1717, a military engineer and mystic named John William Gerard de Brom gave a report to King George III that was a sort of survey of the Southern District of North America. He described the geography of Florida and Georgia and parts of South Carolina. He then seems to make a reference to the Brown Mountain Lights and repeats himself several times in his report. What I'm going to read you now is supposedly a direct quote from the survey in question. Although these mountains transpire through their top sulfurous and arsenical sublimations, Yet they are too light, as precipitate so their sublimatories, but are carried away by the winds to distant regions. In a heavy atmosphere, the nitrous vapors are swallowed up through the spiraculous of the mountains, and thus the country is cleared from their corrosion. When the atmosphere is light, these nitrous vapors rise up to the arsenical and sulfurous, subliming through the epiraculous of the mountain, and when they meet with each other in contact, the nitre inflames, vulgarates, and detonates, whence the frequent thunders, in which a most volatilized spirit of nitre ascends to purify, inspire the upper air, and a phlogiston regentarium, the metallic seed, descends to impregnate the bowels of the earth. 
And as all these mountains form so many warm aethnors, which draw and absorb, especially in foggy seasons, all corrosive effluvia along with the heavy air through the registers, and thus cease not from the perpetual circulation of the air, corroding vapors are not sooner raised than that they are immediately disposed of. Consequently, in the air in the Appalachian Mountains is extremely pure and healthy. And yes, I'm sure I mispronounced some of those words, because it is a mouthful. And, you know, now, this is a little weird and hard to understand, because DeBron was also a mystic. Thus, he was kind of out there. Basically, though, he's speaking of what causes thunderstorms and clean mountain air, and this actually has nothing at all to do with the brown mountain lights. The use of language that was not well understood at the time turned things on end. So yes, this is not an actual reference predating 1910 about the lights at all. It was just wishful thinking. I suppose. They actually published this in an article in the Gastonia Daily Gazette in like 1927 as kind of an aha, see? They predate our modern lights and vehicles and whatnot, so there. But it wasn't true at all. So, sorry everybody. Also, much to the chagrin of ghost hunter types and paranormal enthusiasts, Appalachian State University installed two low-light cameras on rooftops that overlook Brown Mountain and the Linville Gorge. By 2014, these cameras had produced 6,300 viewing hours worth of data without any unexplainable lights being recorded. I pulled that data right off the internet, word for word. That's a lot of hours of footage to find nothing. Nil. Zip. Zilch. Nada. The brown mountain lights, whether they're a natural, unexplained phenomenon or man-made trick of the eye, have shown up so many times in popular culture over the last hundred plus years. There's Scotty Wiseman's famous song, Brown Mountain Lights, which was performed by several different artists over the years. There was a 1999 episode of The X-Files about a group of hikers who went missing near Brown Mountain, and the lights are mentioned. Spoiler alert, Mulder thinks it's UFOs. Other television shows have talked about the lights, and the horrible 2014 movie Alien Abduction is also based on the lights. Sorry if you liked that movie, I did not. Regardless of what they are, they have made their mark on local and popular culture. They've become famous and are considered the top destination for paranormal folks, ghost hunters, and the curious in the state of North Carolina. People want to believe that this is something otherworldly, and maybe it is. Who am I to say that it's not? Look, here's the thing, Spookies. I have never seen the Brown Mountain ghost lights for myself, but I have twice before seen other instances of unexplained light phenomenon. There are several stories in my family about unusual lights all taking place in eastern Kentucky. My sister and I once saw a large orb of light drop out of the sky into a train tunnel cut. I once saw an unexplained light roll down the side of a hill and disappear into the trees. My grandfather and another relative saw a fiery ball of light 
rise up out of the ground in a cemetery. My great-uncle did not see it, and not long after was diagnosed with cancer to which he later succumbed. My parents saw a strange light shining down from a grave in the cemetery across from our house, which is wild because my mom is not a believer. And I think she chooses to believe it was created by some natural scientific cause, which it very well could have been. But it also could have been something beyond our comprehension. What I'm saying is that I can't and won't dispute what others have seen and choose to believe. Could it be car headlights? Possibly. But I don't feel like that's a likely scenario since cars were not all that common in 1910, especially not in rural and often poor areas of Appalachia. Train lights, more probable, of course. It could be a trick of the light. It could be some kind of wild St. Elmo's fire. I've even heard the theory that it's will-o'-the-wisps. I believe that any and all of these ideas could be true, Are the lights created by lonely, displaced spirits searching for something? I just don't know. What I do know is that they are there. Too many people have seen them, whatever they are, for it to be pure speculation. Honestly, I believe it probably has something to do with the atmosphere at certain times of year. That's why they seem to be more prevalent and prominent in the fall and during a new moon. It's just the right conditions. I'm not a scientist, so I can't give you some sort of long, wordy explanation for it. It's likely just something natural we haven't thought of yet or don't know about. Or it's ghosts. Let's be real. Ghosts are always an option. Anyway, that's all for this one, Spookies. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and remember... Don't go outside alone after dark.